This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 66, Days 7 and 8. Last time, on Day 6, the Pandavas attempted to use the crocodile formation, but it worked just about as well as it did for the Karavas on the day before. Perhaps part of the problem was that Bhima did not hold his position. Instead, he saw a group of his cousins on the opposite side and could not resist the temptation to go after them. He abandoned his post and his chariot and lost himself deep in the enemy's midst. Much of the rest of the day's activities centered around attempts at rescuing Bhima from the trap he had flung himself into. Dristid Yumna's rescue attempt resulted in him being trapped alongside his brother-in-law and himself needing rescue. The second rescue attempt was more successful, as Abhimanyu led his half-brothers in a wedge formation that enabled the rest of the Pandava army to follow them through the breach into the enemy lines. He thoroughly terrorized the rank-and-file fighters such that, the following night, he still haunted the survivors' nightmares. Bhim also managed to do some real damage to his number one opponent, Duryodhana. The Karva's golden standard had been demolished, and Duryodhana himself was seriously wounded by Bhima's arrows. That evening, back at the camp, Bhishma saw to Duryodhana's wounds. While he was thus treating his injured nephew, Duryodhana asked again why it was that they were struggling to defeat a much less powerful opponent. I guess old Bhishma had given up on changing his nephew's opinions, because he just smiled grimly and said, We do indeed have the best warriors in India fighting on our side, and all of them are ready to give up their lives for your cause. But all that really matters now is that they have Krishna Vasudev on their side, and as long as that remains the case, we cannot possibly succeed. But I have sworn to you my service, and I shall continue to give it my all. I promise, either I will vanquish your enemies, or they shall vanquish me. There shall be no other outcome. As he said this, Bhishma produced a magic salve, which soon healed the prince of the worst of his wounds. For the seventh day's formation, Bhishma chose an atomic model. The soldiers were arrayed in a vast circle, grouped around each of the elephants. For each battle elephant, he assigned seven chariot warriors. To each chariot, he assigned seven horsemen. And to each horseman, he assigned ten archers. And for each archer, there were ten infantry with shields and swords. Yudhishthira's spies quickly informed him of these plans, and after consulting the ancient tomes on warfare, the Dharmaraj selected the Vajram, or Thunderbolt formation. As part of the day's stratagem, a large force managed to draw Arjun away from the main force, and then they surrounded him, alone on his chariot, with only Krishna at his side. They rained arrows, clubs, and spears down on the two Krishnas from all sides. Annoyed, Arjun called to his friend, F*** it, you really want me to kill all these guys? Then watch this. Without waiting for Krishna's approval, Arjun let off one of Indra's own nuclear thunderbolts. The impact was devastating, as the attackers were violently flung to the ground by the force of the explosion. A disheveled and traumatized remnant of survivors went to Bhishma for protection. Seeing these injured, frightened mortals appealing to him for protection, Bhishma suddenly became sure of his dharma. He seemed to become larger than life and to put off a blinding glow as he calmly directed his otherworldly white horses toward Arjun's chariot. Something similar happened with his opponents. Krishna and Arjun also began putting off an intense white glow which seemed to absorb the sounds of fighting. Warriors shielded their eyes and scurried out of the way to watch this supernatural encounter. The story breaks away at this very moment to describe the scenes elsewhere in the battlefield. On the opposite end of the field, Drona was pressing in. Commanding that part of the Pandava line was King Virata, and yet another of his sons named Shanka. Remember that the last two of Virata's sons that we met were both killed earlier on. 
This father and son team dueled with Drona. As you might have noticed by now, these Viratas were not quite equipped for dealing with fighters of Drona's quality, and this encounter was no surprise. Virata attempted to stem Drona's attack on his troops, but the wily Brahmin, with hardly a side glance, shot all four of Virata's horses dead, and sent a fifth arrow right into his driver's forehead. As the remains of his chariot went crashing into the earth, Virata hopped free of the wreckage and climbed onto his son's car. Now father and son, riding a single chariot, set to attacking Drona once again. Drona did not give them much attention. He just sent an arrow flying in their direction and killed Shanka where he stood. This was poor Virata's third son to die in the awful war, and it happened right before the old man's eyes. This was too much for the king. He grabbed the reins, turned the chariot around, and fled. His unfortunate army paid the price, getting slaughtered in droves without a leader. Elsewhere, Drona's son Ashvataman was causing no less trouble. It was Sikandin who tried to fend off this Brahmin boy wonder. Our transvestite hero managed to get in a few good blows. Notching three fletched arrows to his bow, he sent them flying at his opponent where they each pierced through Ashvataman's helm, through the flesh beneath, and embedded themselves into the skull of his forehead. Drona's son looked like he had three horns protruding from his head, like some kind of angry Rishashringa. Well, these Brahmin warriors are a touchy lot, and Ashvataman blew his top. He blew out Sikandin's banner, wheels, weapons, and killed his horse and driver. Sikandin seemed to have already moved on, because he appeared before his opponent on foot, sword and shield in hand. As he approached, Ashvataman fired arrows directly at him, but he parried each of them with his sword. Now Ashvataman took aim at Sikandin's weapon, shattering his shield and breaking the sword in two. Laughing, Sikandin threw the hilt of his sword at his opponent and leapt sideways onto Sityaki's passing chariot. While Sikandin and Ashvataman had been thus preoccupied, Sityaki had been warring with the Rakshasa king Alabusha. The demon had no qualms with using magic against his mortal foes, so Sityaki returned the favor by letting off one of Indra's thunderbolts. Still alive, but now lacking in Shakti power, the creature fled the battle to lick his wounds. Setyaki then moved deep into enemy territory, joyously slaughtering legions of fighters until many of the surviving foot soldiers just ran away from the range of his arrows. King Dhritarashtra interrupted Sanjay at this point. He said, You keep saying that when the warriors on the Pandava's side are fighting, they're always joyous and laughing, but you never say the same thing about the guys on our side. It seems like all I ever hear about my side is that they're getting defeated or feeling dejected and miserable. You aren't being fair. Sanjay said, Do not doubt that your champions are doing their utmost to fight on your behalf. But just like the mighty Ganga, though fresh, becomes salty when it encounters the ocean, so does the prowess of your warriors dissipate when they encounter the Pandavas in battle. So do not blame your loyal soldiers, who are expending all their effort on your war. It is because of you and your son that this catastrophic war is broken out. And in any case, these warriors have no fear of death, because to die in battle is to go straight to heaven. Getting back to the fighting, King Shalya of the Madras, whose sister Madri was mother to the twins Nakul and Sahadev, found himself in a duel with his two nephews. Nakul sent a shower of arrows in Shalya's direction, and the king laughed in joy to see his nephew's prowess. He deflected all the arrows that flew at him and sent four shafts in return, each of which killed one of Nakul's horses. Nakul deftly leapt from his grounded vehicle and joined Sahadev on his chariot. Now the twins stood together on a single car and each fired an arrow at their uncle. 
one of those two arrows managed to strike their reluctant enemy. The shaft went clear through Shalya's body, causing the king to collapse in his chariot and be driven off the field unconscious. Having defeated the Madra's general, the twins each gave a blast on their horns and proceeded to slaughter the Madra army. Arjun's son, Abhimanyu, took on three of Duryodhana's brothers single-handedly and disabled the chariots of all three, but he spared them their lives, remembering that Uncle Bhimasena had a claim on them. Bhishma, surrounded by a vast bodyguard, tried to come to the rescue of the stranded Dhatarastras, but he was waylaid along the way by Arjun, who was glowing white-hot with anger and shakti. Duryodhana had worried about this encounter since the beginning of the war, and he had assigned a vast army to guard Bhishma and keep Arjun at bay. Arjun, of course, was undaunted. He just directed his divine charioteer to drive them right into the enemy's midst. Sanjay said, Then a tremendous battle occurred in which blood was shed like water. Struck by the son of Indra, his opponents collapsed lifeless on the field of battle, their limbs lacerated, their heads chopped off, their armor and bodies torn apart. Seeing so many noble princes slaughtered, the king of the Trigartas led a counter-strike against Arjun. Tormented by their heavy rain of arrows, Dhananjaya flew into a rage and killed all of his attackers except the king himself. Arjun really had no interest in fighting more duels with these lesser foes. Instead, he pushed on to confront Bhishma directly. Jayadratha, Duryodhana, and Shalya all tried to intervene and distract Arjun from his objective but the Pandava pushed them aside and stuck to his mission. Arjun's brothers sensed that the big moment might have arrived, and they all rushed to support him. As he hurried to his brother's aid, Yudhishthira saw Sikandin standing around with a broken bow. Since Sikandin was a critical element in their plans to defeat Bhishma, Yudhishthira got annoyed. He hollered at Sikandin, Not long ago, in your father's presence, you swore to me that you would be the first to slaughter Bhishma. But here you are with your thumb up your ass. Do not go back on your oath. Now go out there and fight. This snapped Sikandin out of his stupor, and he grabbed a new bow and rushed to engage with his old nemesis. Unfortunately, Jayadratha got to him first, and the pair were soon engaged in a duel. A small contingent of Duryodhana's brothers, led by the Dhatarastra Chitrasena, charged at the Pandavas, hoping to break their formation. As they drew near, however, Bhima suddenly appeared before them, licking his lips hungrily, club in hand. In a flash, Chitrasena's four horses were smashed by Beam's club. Chitrasena looked back and saw all his brothers had already run away. Chitrasena swiftly jumped off his wrecked car, turned tail, and ran for safety. I guess Bhishma was once again saved by the bell, because before Arjun and Sikandin were able to get into position, the sun had set, and the fighting ended for the day. The Kauravas chose the formation for the eighth day. This was somehow shaped to represent the sea. In response, the Pandavas arrayed themselves in the shape of an inverted triangle or wedge. In their growing frustration, seven of Duryodhana's more valiant brothers decided to take down Bhima before any more of them could get killed. This turned out to be a mistake. They ambushed Bhima and struck him hard with a number of arrows. But they had also brought themselves into range, and Bhima did not miss this opportunity. In the space of a few minutes, all seven of the bravest Dhartarastras were slaughtered by Bhima Sena. News of their deaths soon reached Duryodhana, and he was crushed with grief. He went to his general Bhishma and said tearfully, My heroic brothers have been slaughtered by that monstrous Pandava, and all my other champions are going the same way, and we can't seem to stop it. Why are you doing this to us? Why do you allow this to happen? 
You have never favored us, and now you let us die like this. I have made a horrible mistake in putting you in charge. Also weeping, Bhishma said, I told you long ago that this would be the outcome if you persisted with this unwise course. So did Drona, Vidur, and even your own mother warned you, yet you took no notice. So now, since you will not make peace, my advice to you is to fight honorably and fight bravely, so that you may attain paradise when they finally get to you, because the sons of Pandu will never be defeated by us. Meanwhile, the battle continued to rage. On this day, we are introduced to another of Arjun's sons, named Iravat. I do not believe he has been mentioned before, and the story helpfully provides some biographical detail. We are told that Iravat was the son of a Naga woman, Ulupi, whom Arjun had bedded but not wed when he was making his tour of the holy places. See episode 18. When this Naga prince grew older, he sought out his father at Indraloka. There, Iravat met his father for the first time and was also introduced to Indra. Thus blessed, the boy was endowed with magical weapons and became a great warrior. When the allies were summoned for this great battle, Iravat arrived with a contingent of Naga warriors. Sadly, like Setyaki's ten sons, we only meet Iravat long enough to see him die in the battle. The boy tried to take on the demon Alambusha, who happens to be the gentle Rishishringa's son. For a while Iravat held his ground, trading magic spells and weapons with his demonic opponent, but soon he was overcome and killed by Alambusha. Iravat, we hardly knew ye. Bhima's son Gatokacha angrily rushed to avenge his cousin's death. Bhima's Rakshasa's son had some potent magic, and he took on Drona, Ashvataman, and Duryodhana all at once. He conjured up a legion of horrifying creatures, and soon the entire Karva army was running in fear and confusion. Taking advantage of the confusion, Bhima managed to kill another ten of his cousins. Once again, the Karvas were saved by the bell. The sun set in the west, and the fighting ended for the day. This is the end of the eighth day of fighting. That evening, while Duryodhana sat in his tent, having his injuries tended to, he summoned his old batch of cronies. Uncle Shakuni, Brother Dushasan, and Karna all gathered to commiserate. Duryodhana complained to his friends. He said, We've got Drona, Bhishma, Kripa, Shalya, all out there, but they can't seem to get the job done. I don't understand why this is so difficult, and I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. We've got to turn this around soon, or we're going to lose this thing. Karna, who was well-rested and eager to fight, said, Don't worry about it. Once I get my chance, I'll turn this thing around in no time. When the son of Shantanu finally gets out of the way, I'll take care of everything. I'll kill the Pandavas and their allies while Bhishma looks on from the sidelines. Here's what I recommend. Go over to Bhishma's tent and tell him to take a rest. Once that old codger is out of the way, I'll have the heads of the Pandavas lined up as an offering for you. No problem. Wearily, but still wanting to believe his friend, the Karva stood up and commanded Dushasan, saying, Arrange for my escort and retinue. We must pay our uncle a visit. To Karna, he said, I'll persuade Bhishma to retire, and then you may smite our foes in combat. Perhaps unsure exactly of how to go about firing his own elder, Duryodhana had himself cleaned up and adorned in his full regalia, and set out in a litter with a large escort for Bhishma's tent. Bhishma greeted his nephew and provided him the seat of honor. Tearfully, Duryodhana got to the point, sort of. He said, At my behest, you have pacified all of India, and it is well known that you could storm the gates of heaven and succeed. So what then of this little army we have set out to destroy? 
I remember you promised me that you would wipe out their allies, the Samakas, the Panchalas, the Kakayas, and the Karushas. So when exactly are you planning on doing this? But if you're holding back out of sympathy for them, or hatred for me, then do me a favor, retire. Let Karna into the fight. I'm certain that he can get the job done. Sorrowfully, Bhishma replied, I see that in your delusion you're blinded to the reality of this situation, so anything I say would seem like excuses. I did indeed swear that I would kill the Samakas and Panchalas. So tomorrow I shall kill them all, or I shall die trying. I will kill them, with the exception of Sikandi. Duryodhana accepted this and returned to his tent. Clearly the old man was still on probation, but the boy was feeling better. As dawn broke on the following day, he ordered his commanders, draw up the troops. Today Bhishma shall slaughter the Samakas. Bhishma overheard this and grumbled that he'd rather go straight back to fighting Arjun. Duryodhana knew this perfectly well, so he sent messages to each of his generals, telling them to keep Arjun and Sikandin as far from Bhishma as possible. He told them, if Bhishma is guarded, our victory is certain. On the opposite side, Arjun also had Bhishma on his mind. As the troops were arrayed, he told Dristad Yumna, place Sikandin directly opposite Bhishma. I shall be his protector. That's all for now. Next time, the ninth day of battle begins. Clearly, Bhishma is being pushed into a dangerous corner, but how much longer can he hold out? Thanks for listening. <laughs>